Hello and welcome to another Scotland's Choice podcast and we're doing the Westminster Roundup with me, Drew Hendry MP. And me, Brendan O'Hara MP. And I'm delighted to be joined by... Anne McLaughlin MP. Thank you for joining us, Anne. Um, Anne, I want to talk about uh, some work that you're doing just now because everybody um, at home is feeling a pinch with the cost of living. We know that there are problems with energy costs. We know these are due to skyrocket again. You've been doing some really important work to try and uh, help those who are perhaps the most vulnerable. Do you want to just tell us a wee bit about that? Yeah, so I've uh, been campaigning about the whole issue of the unequal treatment of people who are on prepayment meters. And there's a number of issues around it, but I suppose the summary is this. Most people on a prepayment meter are on a low income and they, you know, that's why they end up on them. However, despite that, they pay more per unit of energy than the Prime Minister, as I said to the Prime Minister last mm-hmm. week. They pay more in daily standing charges than the rest of us who are paying in arrears, and they can be disconnected the second they go run out of credit. So they get, depending on the energy company, five, ten pounds. One of them's now given fifteen pounds of emergency credit, a penny over that, mm-hmm. and you're automatically disconnected. They call it self disconnection, mm-hmm. as if you've got any choice. So it's pretty dangerous. Um, it's very expensive, mm-hmm. and it's ironic that it's more expensive because you're on a low income. Mm-hmm. So I've been fighting on a number of fronts. Well, you've, you've brought this um, to the fore uh, some time ago. Other people have joined in now in saying, because you've highlighted it, but saying this is a, you know, a, an issue that has to be dealt with, that's not being dealt with properly by the UK government here at Westminster. Uh, but but just tell us, what, what, what have, been, have you been doing in your campaign? Well, I started uh, probably about last September, I started looking at it seriously because we knew we were coming up to a bad winter. We also knew that the prices were about to skyrocket and I was, I'm was i concerned and, about it. And costs for people were rocketing anyway in the background. With yes. Brexit, Brexit fueling inflation and uh, yes. a bunch of other things, yeah. People were really worried about how they were going to cope. People on fairly reasonable incomes were worried about it. So, um, so then um, I, I thought about prepayment meters and how they are so... Uh, so much more expensive and I thought right what I'll do is I'll write to the Secretary of State who at the time the Secretary of State for Bays was Jacob Rees-Mogg so I wrote to him in September and I've never heard anything back now I know he's no longer there I don't know how many Secretary of States you'll know better than me we've had since then maybe it's just the one but it's the person in post is supposed to respond to you even if they take over from somebody else Nothing back. Um, in November, I... Well, it's interesting. Just before you go on to tell us mm. what you're doing in November, and I want to, but you were asking how many um, energy ministers have been in charge. Up yeah. until the Boris Johnson era, there was, there was a new energy minister every year for the past 20-odd years. My goodness. And as we've seen, a big amount of churn. So I don't think anybody's got those figures. It's just been disgracefully <laughs> treated by Westminster that. But anyway, you're going to tell us about November. So in November, um, I was lucky enough to get a 10-minute rule bill and um, so I presented it to Parliament and I, and, and I had thought about what am I going to ask for in this 10-minute rule bill that will help people on prepayment meters. And, you know, working with the Bill Office, there was a number of different things I could have asked. I could have asked for several things. But I thought, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Make it easy for the government, the UK mm-hmm. government, yeah. to say, yes, OK, we'll incorporate that into our legislation. So the, all, all I asked for, I wanted to ask for them to outlaw this so-called self-disconnection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't able to do that. So the wording basically says that, that they, they, they should have an extended 
six month period once they've run out of money just, before just they just explain to us what self-disconnection is just so that people listening can understand exactly what that is yeah so i mean it's really badly named self-disconnection mm -hmm. it sounds like you just decide to, by yeah. yourself to go and disconnect yourself mm -hmm. you put you put you top up your meter the meter runs out of money you go a penny over mm -hmm. your emergency credit and it automatically disconnects you so mm -hmm. you can't get access to gas and electricity again so no heat no light you can't cook, you can't charge a mobile phone, which mm -hmm. could be very isolating yeah, in today's world where we're so dependent yeah. on mobile phones. Yeah. Um, and you can't do any of those things until you've got money to top it up again. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's another issue that when you do go to top it up again, somebody who's maybe, you know, gone a week without it, which is outrageous in my view, but they've maybe, so they come back and they manage to get some money and they go to top it up and it gobbles up half of it because... Even though you've not it's had money any owed access. because the study charges there. Yeah. Even yeah. though you've not had access to the gas and electricity, mm -hmm. you're still having to pay for it every day. And mm -hmm. don't forget, you're paying more mm -hmm. than than you or I would pay, Drew. Mm -hmm. so, so, so you brought forward, and mm -hmm. as you said, I just want to underline this: this would be a simple change that the UK government could do to do mm -hmm. the right thing mm -hmm. to make sure that people at the most pressured end of society. People who are suffering, you talked about isolation, that to get to that point, there's going to be mental health issues and everything else, you know, um, health for their children, all the rest mm -hmm. of it, to get to that point. Really easy thing to do. Yeah. Tell us a bit more. Well, I mean, I, th I mean, I really, maybe I was being naive. Maybe I'm just <laughs> a very positive person. Um, and sometimes I do think if you just keep pushing and you keep believing that something mm -hmm. can change, it will change. And sometimes we're right about that. Yeah. So all I asked for was if I I pay my bills when they come in, mm -hmm. if I don't pay them, it's, and I know this from, I know this, but I, I won't give you the complicated stories of how I know this from personal experience, but if I don't pay them, it'll be six months to a year before anybody talks about disconnecting me mm -hmm. or talks about giving me a prepayment return. Mm -hmm. So I pay my bills in arrears. I'm allowed to run up debt. I wouldn't encourage anybody mm -hmm. to do that. But if I really can't pay my bills, I can run up debt mm -hmm. for six months to a year, whereas, as we said, they get automatically disconnected. This bill would allow them six months of emergency credit mm -hmm. before yeah. they can start. To, and in that six months, what they have to do is their energy supplier has to work with them to try to get them support and help to be able to it, resolve it sounds, their debt. It sounds really practical and mm -hmm. sensible. And yeah. Kind of humane. Yeah. Um, you know, so... Where where's it gone? What's happening? Nowhere. Nowhere. I, I've actually had. I mean, basically, they tried to block it. So, mm -hmm. um, twice now. So that we got the first reading in November, and then twice it's come before uh, Parliament, and their mm -hmm. government whips are sitting on the benches trying to block it. Mm -hmm. Well, I've always got somebody making sure it continues. Mm -hmm. But I mean, really, I just want to keep it alive. It's not the only issue, mm -hmm. but it's the yeah. one thing I thought. I even asked, we had a debate in December, a, yeah. a, a backbench business debate. I had 15 Tory yeah. MPs signed my yeah. debate application. And I even asked just a moratorium, just suspend this so-called yeah. self-disconnection over I, Christmas and New Year. And this this podcast is obviously Scotland's Choice. We're talking, it's the Westminster Roundup, but we're talking Scotland's Choice about the differences between Westminster control and you're having control of our own affairs. Just on that subject, that reasonable choice and so forth, can you imagine any circumstances with the Scottish Parliament, not the Scottish Government, the Scottish Parliament had the power to change this, that any of the, the uh, MSPs that are elected with the exception, maybe the possible exception of one or two that you could probably, uh, that you would always get in any Parliament, but can you imagine the Scottish Parliament saying no to no. this kind of simple 
No, I really can't. And I mean, not just because uh, SNP MSPs are in the majority, although that does help. But uh, last year's SNP conference, I brought forward mm. a motion on this mm. and it was unanimously passed. Mm. Um, people agreed that it was wrong. Um, also, I know that they are discussing it more and more now in the Scottish mm -hmm. Parliament. The unfortunate thing is there is the absolutely nothing. They mm -hmm. don't have the power to do mm -hmm. anything yeah. about it, which is ironic. Iron I mean, ironic's maybe too tame a word for this. It's just absolutely dreadful when you think about how energy rich we are. Mm -hmm. And yet we and our government, our democratically elected government and our parliament can do nothing to help people here. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why anybody if they really understood this, would put up with that situation, you know, where your government can't do anything for people on these meters. But I am, I'm getting positive and I'm getting hopeful that the wall's starting to crumble a bit down mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. because there's been a number of developments in the last week. So let's just see where we end up with it. But... So, you know, hopefully, I mean, we, we always have to have hope with these things that you can move things through. Remember trying to get a very simple change to terminal illness rules to allow people to not have to say they were going to die within six months of when oh, they were diagnosed right. terminally ill. And eventually, after seven years of that, we got a small change to it. So so things can occasionally mm -hmm. uh, move very in very small ways uh, in this place that benefit some people. We want to benefit as many people as possible. And I know you were very supportive of something I was doing, which was the mm. kind of flip side of the coin from uh, what we're doing. And, and these things don't cost the government anything. They don't no. cost the UK taxpayer anything or the Scottish taxpayers. We should always say, because we pay our taxes into Westminster yeah. to these changes. But one of the things that I was pursuing, um, and you were right out of the traps to say that dovetails very well with mm. the work I was doing, was this the energy companies keeping uh, overpayments yeah. um, in their own bank accounts and yeah. not automatically giving them back to people. There are so many people out there, and I think it's worth saying in the context of this conversation, who are struggling to pay bills at home mm -hmm. and don't realise that they've built up mm -hmm. a reserve, if you like, sitting in the energy company's bank accounts, mm -hmm. which they could be using to help their families exactly. at, at the moment. And, and again, nothing happening on that, is there? Well, I'll tell you why I love that campaign yep. that you're running so much, Drew. So I've got very personal experience of this. When I was unelected in 2017, I went through quite an extended period of unemployment. It's not it's not quite as easy as people think when you're no longer an MP. To, there's no jobs for the, the girls, the boys. Um, well, certainly not the way we operate in the SNP. So um, I... Yeah, being... you can't pick up your job in the city or whatever, no. or get your chairmanship <laughs> of uh, of some uh, some big multinational. No, it just uh, doesn't work like that yeah. for us. And I'm glad it doesn't work like no, that no, for us. No, no, we wouldn't want it, yeah. I was in a really difficult situation where I had a, a, my energy supplier chasing me for money that I owed them for gas. It was, I think it was about £300. Mm. But they were getting after, again, it was after six months, they were getting relentless and they were getting mm. really angry with me. And they were phoning me all the time and I was avoiding the phone. And then they sent me a letter saying that they were going to take me to court. So eventually I phoned them. It's a hard thing to mm. do when yes, you mm. when you know you're phoning them, but you don't have any solution because you don't mm. have any money. Yeah. And in talking to the guy, I said, you know, and is it the same with the electricity? And he looked at my electricity account, which was at the same company, and I was in credit to £500, <laughs> but it hadn't occurred to them to mm -hmm. tell me that. So they were needlessly going to be taking me to court mm -hmm. for money that I actually didn't owe them. It was already sitting in their it. company, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think, but I think you're right. There's many more people who mm -hmm. don't realise mm -hmm. that they're in credit 
and and I think the more publicity that your campaign gets, the better, because you're right, there are so many people, more than people on prepayment meters that are really struggling. To, to bring it back to the core issue, though, um, with both of these things, both these inequities, because they're, they're, they're causing an, an injustice and, and inequality in terms of what they're doing, people not being able to access money that they're due, people not being cut off before you know, they, they should be and so forth. But both of these things, the power over those decisions lies with Ofgem, which is a UK government, uh, the, the office is in charge of regulating, yeah. uh, you know, the electricity uh, and uh, and gas situation in the UK, except for off-grid, but that's another story. Yeah. And, and that's all under the auspices of the UK government. And these simple changes that would make people's lives much better are things that you would want to see change quickly, but they just don't. Yes. It doesn't happen down here. We don't have the power to do it ourselves. Mm. And we have to come down and and basically scream from the sidelines and just hope that you get a Hail Mary pass to, mm. uh, to get something done with it. It's, it's not what people in Scotland should have to put up with, is it? No, I mean, I feel, and I'm sure you feel the same, I feel like I come down here and I'm begging for scraps. Yeah. And, and I feel that the reason that they're not changing, they're not making the changes that we want them to make is because it's ideological. They don't want to tell big business what to do, mm. even when big business is harming people mm. that are really struggling. And yet, on the contrary, in the Scottish Parliament, the Scottish Government, I feel that ideologically, mm. their instinct is to support the people that we're representing and to make yeah. life better for them. So we would have almost the opposite in the, the Scottish... Well, we do have almost the opposite mm. in the Scottish Government. But if we had those powers as well, mm. then, you know, we could transform the way that politicians and governments relate to people and, and how people feel about their governments mm. because we could transform it so that we're centred on helping people rather oh. than helping big business. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying big business bad, not all bus business is bad, but obviously... Well, you need to, business needs to be yeah. stimulated and the economy yeah. needs to create jobs. Yeah. That, you know, there's a reasonable amount of profit that companies yeah. should be making, yeah. um, but, but not at the expense, as you said, of the most marginalised people. Exactly. And, and certainly not holding on to folks' money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I yeah. totally agree with you. Anne McLaughlin MP, thank you very much indeed. Um, yep. Brendan and I are going to carry on here discussing other issues at Westminster, but thanks for joining us on Scotland's Choice. You're welcome. What are your thoughts there on what Anne's been saying about our campaign? It's, it's important stuff, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. She's she's absolutely right. I mean, the, the marginalisation of one of the most vulnerable groups in society in this way is absolutely hideous and I think there's a lot of things that don't cut through from Westminster into real life but this one did mm. uh, I, I've had friends and relatives talking about that awful scene where the the guy who fits the meters is saying this is a bit I really like mm. so it's cut through yeah. uh, and I'm really glad that they got the urgent question today but my goodness the minister and his response when he said that uh Prepaying pre meters in and of themselves aren't inherently bad. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, they are. When you can cut a vulnerable person or a vulnerable family off from any source of heating who have already paid higher charges than anyone else, they are inherently bad. And uh, I'm more power to her elbow. And, and I just want to underline it. Anne was making the point there about the fact that an independent Scotland, or indeed if the Scottish Parliament had control of these issues, we'd just we'd be dealing with this kind of thing. But as a, a matter of course, you know, and it, and it just shows you the deficit we have here at Westminster yeah, as opposed I, to their own control. You're absolutely right. And I think it's that sort of lack of understanding mm -hmm. that if we had the power to 
do this, we would never, ever have this debate because there is no configuration of our parliament that would say prepayment meters and the installation at by force of a prepayment meter is a good thing. Mm. And it just shows you the disconnect from what we want in Scotland and what is actually happening to us, again, by a government that we did not elect. Well, changing the subject, because we've just been joined by someone else we're going to introduce in a second. You know, Scotland having the powers to do things would make a big difference. Being independent, obviously, be an absolute game changer for us to be able to do things. But whether it's now or whether it's in a future independent Scotland, we've got to do what we can, first of all, to mitigate the effects of Brexit for uh, people across Scotland. And, of course, we've got to plan ahead for independence. And to do that, we've got to make sure we've got a good level of engagement with our partners around the world. So I'd just like to introduce... Uh, David London, MP for Glasgow East. And uh, talk about the fact that both David and I have been in Washington. Yes, I I was I'm very jealous. I was meant to <laughs> I was meant to join you. I was speaking at uh, a human rights conference in in Washington while you were there. Unfortunately, I had to do it via Zoom from this very office. Um, but I, I hear it was an incredibly worthwhile trip and lots and lots of contacts made. Well, you, you might not have been as jealous if you'd faced the two days of jet lag after our two-day trip and uh, it was very busy. But no, it was very uh, successful. And uh, uh, David, what, what did you think was the uh, most important thing about actually reaching out uh, to people in Congress? And not only that, but to uh, elected members from you know pretty much around the world while we were there. Well, I think one of the things that is quite overwhelming is that people have a huge amount of affection for Scotland. Um, but one of my concerns for a number of years has been that over and above the tourism, people don't necessarily have as much of a, a deep understanding of, of Scottish politics. And so I felt that it, it was a really good opportunity for us to be there, particularly to coincide with the anniversary of Brexit and talk to people about the fact that Scotland is a radically different country from the rest of the UK. Um, Scotland is very much going in a different path from this isolationist little Britain Tory government. One of the things that I was also quite struck by, uh, particularly in private meetings um, with members of Congress, was the fact that for all those the talk of the special relationship, once you get behind closed doors, folk are looking on to the current UK government uh, and, and the current constitutional setup here, absolutely aghast at a government that seems to be going through prime ministers and chancellors at a rate of knots. That's not something that's particularly good for the United States of America that wants a stable partner here in Europe. Um, and I think the opportunity to put Scotland's case and to speak with a distinctly Scottish voice was something that we certainly welcomed uh, and those who were listening to us were, were giving us a good hearing. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, isn't it? That I think that if you were to believe what this place tells you, that there is a special bond, this unbreakable relationship. And in actual fact, as you say, once you, you dig beneath the rhetoric, it's not really there anymore. And every country acts in its own interest and how this place can convince itself that the United States of America sees its best interest aligning itself to the UK as opposed to Europe is just, it's for the birds, it's, it's, it's fanciful it, nonsense. It, it was really interesting, the point you're making there, that when we were out there, the number of conversations we had when they were saying they were quite clearly not, you know, particularly exercised about engaging with the UK, their big target was the EU. And, and I think in the context of Scotland, you know, wanting to be an independent country in the EU, that's a very important thing. Yeah, and, and where Scotland is situated strategically is, is, is hugely important for America, both in terms of defence policy, um, but also that, that willingness to be a part of the European Union 
um, and to see itself as a European nation. One of the things that I was incredibly struck by was the fact that the, the chances of a free trade agreement between the UK and America, <laughs> I would put it literally nil. Mm. Um, notwithstanding the, the issues that, quite rightly, um, the you know colleagues in Congress have got with the, the Northern Ireland situation, it is quite clear that the, the UK has been reduced to this kind of little rump in the eyes of the, the United States of America. And I, I certainly know from having visited the States on a number of occasions that this is the, the most fertile territory that we've had in terms of getting a, a fair hearing on why Scotland can, should and must be a normal independent country. Yeah, I think when you caveat all of that, a normal independent country within the European Union, then you take away an awful lot of those fears that may or may not have been there run up to, to, to 2014, whereas it's almost from an American perspective, it's Scotland who's providing stability and security and a continuity where you have a basket case of a southern neighbour which is setting fire to itself, <laughs> you know, economically and culturally and socially and as an international player, suddenly Scotland looks like a, a stable option. And, and if you're looking at it from Washington and you see that Scotland, as you say, that's vitally important the geostrategic position that we have, Scotland wants to be an international player, then what is there to lose? What is there not to like from Washington? I think there was, a, there was an interesting moment where Rodri and I were, were having lunch with a, a colleague on, on Thursday. Um, and of course, we we're, were trying to be relatively diplomatic about things. Um, and uh, when talking about Brexit, he actually just looked, oh yes, the time that you shot yourself in the foot. <laughs> um, and, and that's the fundamental point here, is that they can see the, the evidence of, of Brexit I mean the fact that of all the G7 countries, we're the only one with negative economic growth, that we're losing £100 billion a year. Uh, people in America can see that the UK has decided to take this insular route, this this little Britain approach, and they can see from the the points that Blue and I were making that people in Scotland don't have don't want to have anything to do with this, uh, and they also find it rather peculiar. This is a country that prides itself in democracy. For goodness' sake, they elect local judges. They find it very very bizarre that people in Scotland have voted for the majority of MSPs who are pro independence. The UK government is not respecting that mandate. But I'm sure you pointed out to them that we didn't shoot ourselves in the foot. Someone else shot us in the foot. I think you can you indeed can be guaranteed we pointed out. <laughs> But no, I think it's, it's a very, very valid point and it's, it's a point which we don't hear. We never hear that American perspective on Scotland because everything is filtered through Westminster and that's why your engagement at that level I think is incredibly important and that message has got to get out that you know there are folk in Congress who are talking about Scotland and who want to know more. Well, they, they do want to know an awful lot more. I mean, one of the things that was repeatedly brought up at our meetings was uh, renewable energy, and particularly yeah. it's linked to hydrogen and the opportunities there. They are looking across the sea. They can see that this energy-rich country is going to continue to be energy-rich, and it's something they're really interested in. We, we talked about a whole range of things, be it uh, whiskey to tourism to... Uh, obviously, international affairs, the situation in Ukraine, etc. But, you know, one of the things that's absolutely clear is there's a real uh, interest and a determination to, to kind of create and enhance an existing friend or friendship that's there. Um, and, and and we took some criticism on Twitter for being out there from various groups. If you take the Daily Mail, the, the, the Express, Daily Express, it's a comic book. But but the point the point I would make is that if we are leaving things to the UK government, just look where we are now. 
with what we've got with the UK government. We've got this little Britain attitude. We saw for ourselves, as David has just said, you know, what the attitude is out there to what they're doing there. We've got, we've had to go out there in order to make sure that we're projecting an entirely different image and making the point you made that Scotland didn't ask for this disaster. Ah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I repeat the point, it's so important that folk like you get out there, have these conversations to say to the Americans, it doesn't have to be this way. It can be different. And you have nothing to fear whatsoever from an independent Scotland as a full member of the European Union. One of the really interesting conversations we had, particularly with our colleagues and the Democrats, was the commitment that we've got to NATO. Of course, they have just been through a whole process where Donald Trump, if, goodness, <laughs> uh, help us, if, if Donald Trump had got a second term, he knows what situation NATO would have been in front of been dismantled. Mm -hmm. You imagine that with the backdrop of what's happening in Ukraine and the fact that we in the SNP can talk about our strong commitment mm -hmm. uh, to, to spending 2% of our GDP on defence, that strong commitment to NATO is something that is hugely encouraging yeah. to, to our colleagues in America um, and I think we'll, we'll bear a lot of fruit going forward into our next referendum campaign that is ultimately Scotland's choice. And you only you only have to just look at who's been projecting these messages before. I mean, Liz Trump, yeah. Boris Johnson. You know, these are the people that have been going out to take the message across uh, the planet about the UK and by definition Scotland. But the interesting thing for me is that, you know, we know from conversations we've had out there, Scotland was never mentioned. No. Not even in dispatches yeah. uh, when they've been out there. Yeah, I've just thought David's just taking his glasses off. He's obviously picturing the idea of Liz Trump. <laughs> Did I say well, Liz Trump? You said Liz Trump. The interesting thing... <laughs> How close could you get? Yeah, the Liz Trump, obviously. Yeah. The interesting thing, of course, was when we were out in the States, Johnson was out in the States as well. Um, now, a lot of us are wondering what on earth Boris Johnson's up to and what his next move will be. Um, but I think the more that we see somebody who is like a kind of bumbling fool uh, going around and, and talking about the, the wars of Brexit and all these kind of things, people will just see him as being utterly discredited. And you contrast that with folk like you and I who are going out there to talk about the importance of hydrogen and where Scotland wants to contribute uh, in the 21st century. It's a massive and a stark contrast that was well received in the States. Well, I, I applaud you guys for, for what you did. Uh, hopefully it'll be the first of of many, it'll certainly a, a series of engagements um, but I think so much to do. Yeah, I think it is really important that, you know, that what we do is we don't just pay lip service to the fact that we want to engage internationally. We actually do something about it, make sure that, you know, one of the things that we were doing absolutely every time was trying to encourage, uh, you know, politicians from over there to come over here. Mm. Um, and to bring their staff and so forth. If, it, it, and the absolute minimum that does is it means that they're spending some money in Scotland. But but of course, they're also finding out more about Scotland and being able to you know build those re relationships themselves yeah, and look at the it, opportunities. It, it's, about, it's about seeing those you know world-leading uh, financial services sector jobs that we've got in Glasgow and Edinburgh. It's about seeing these Russell Group universities mm. that we've got. It's about seeing that renewable energy. That is the image of Scotland that we want mm. to present to the rest of the world. It's an image that people in the, perhaps in this place, have been quite keen to, to sell as their own. But actually, now that the UK has distracted itself with yeah. ridiculous policies like deporting asylum seekers to Rwanda, there's a real opportunity, a real window for mm -hmm. us here um, to put Scotland in the, in the shop window and make sure that people in the United States... Yeah, but I think, I think as well, that as well as all of those incredibly worthwhile things you mentioned, in my absence, I'm absolutely certain, as loyal colleagues you would have said, and we will take you to 
Argyllan Butte's finest <laughs> distilleries. Yes, and, and, and I was actually saying to them how much you enjoy Isla, so we're going to get some of them to Isla as well. Yeah. Excellent. Indeed, and, and it, it, just one final thing. It, there, there was a lot of bits and pieces that we picked up in terms of information and intelligence that I'd not heard before. Some people might have done, but I've not been able to share it. For example, just one small thing, but there'd be a big thing for people here that we find out about scholarships that are available in the United States for Scottish students uh, you know, to go out and take advantage of, you know, that's something that's never come through the diplomatic channels. And there's probably about another half dozen things where I go through my notes that you can pull out uh, like that, that uh, will be useful for passing on to people. So, you know, I think it was successful. I think um, given the number of meetings we had, the, the door was not only open, I think there was a, a hook to pull us in um, as well with it. I think it was a very worthwhile uh, thing to do, but, uh, but, and most importantly, I think this is something that we need to build on for the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we most certainly do. It's, I think if, if we don't, uh, we, well, this is a golden opportunity. Mm -hmm. We've got to take it. Mm -hmm. And you guys are doing a fantastic job. Just keep doing it. Well, on that note, and uh, that uh, rare compliment from uh, Brendan O'Hara for anybody that knows him, oh, it's uh, very, very unusual. <laughs> and that'll never... Uh, happen mark this podcast because I'm not sure yeah, that'll I'm happen again <laughs> exactly so um, what I would like to say is thank you to all of our listeners for listening to Scotland's Choice thanks to Anne McLaughlin MP earlier thanks to David Linden thank you and it's been a pleasure and a delight and a delight this, this your uh, I I compliment you again <laughs> you don't need to do that what you do have to do is close out the uh, podcast so thanks for listening to Scotland's Choice if you want to listen to any more episodes of Scotland's Choice you can find us on scotlandschoice.scot mm -hmm.